Hello and welcome to the Upland Lives podcast. My name is Mike Rain, author of Nature of Snowdonia. This podcast is free to air, ad-free and music-free. You can find out more about me and my workshops at and e-learning modules at www.microain.co.uk. My guest today is Jess Brown of GB Mountaineering. Um, Jess is a mountaineering instructor, mad keen rock climber, and internet sensation. He was even put up for an award this year for uh, his work on the internet by the TGO Awards. So it's one of the reasons I wanted to speak to Jess today. He's one of a sort of, I hesitate to use the word new, but a, a more recent wave of mountain training course providers and um, a lot of his work does revolve around mountain training uh, training courses and assessment courses but he does a lot of guided climbing a lot of coaching climbing as well um, and he's a bit of an internet sensation as I said so um, Jez let me welcome you to the Upland Lives podcast how are you today and where am I speaking to you? Well, thanks for having me Mike it's, uh, it's great to be on I'm in sunny Spain uh, I've been here a couple of weeks now I tend to spend my winters so about three months uh, over here um, to escape all the all the mist and drizzle of Fanberis and everything. Although I've been seeing some really nice pictures from the last couple of days of cloud inversions and everything, so maybe it's not all too bad over there. Well, as we're recording this, we've just had some of those amazing winter high pressure days where the cold yeah. is off the scale, and they are special days. Um, but yeah, I, I get the point of spending the winters in Spain. So hey. as a climber, it's something I, I tried to do as much as I could. Um, but now I, I'm not doing as much climbing. It's, it's less important. Jez, let's start at the beginning. How do you get into the outdoors and, and being a climber? How did it start for you? Yeah, I was, um, I was brought up in the, the flatlands of England in Hampshire. Um, and I was just always into the outdoors as a kid, you know, just making dens, walking the dog, just going on little adventures, sort of semi learning how to read a map and just exploring footpaths around uh, where I grew up, really. Uh, I loved it. It just something a bit different. You could just go out with the dog and, and explore and come home when you were tired or actually quite often I'd ring the mum up and say, come and pick me up from wherever and she'd drive off and, uh, and collect me because my legs had run out of gas. And that, that just kind of, I wanted to be in the military actually to kind of, yeah, be in the outdoors. And then when I was about, I think I was about 17, my tutor at school who was ex-military actually sent me on my work experience uh, up on Anglesey with someone you probably know, Nigel Dennis, uh, oh, what yeah. was the Anglesey Sea and Surf Centre. And I kind of realised that you could probably do most of what I wanted from the military without the kind of getting shouted at, getting shot at, all those kind of things. Uh, and about the same time, my parents sent me on a, a climbing course at Plaza Brennan, like a learn to lead kind of course. Uh, and I just had a, a blast for five days or whatever it was. And I was properly hooked. I remember uh, Libby uh, was one of the, uh, the trainers on that week and I was just properly sold on it all. And ever since then, it kind of was just trying to work out how I can make a living from that and just do it all, all the time, really whether it was walking, scrambling, climbing, mountain biking, anything, just to be sort of outdoors and, and doing something. And my, the rest of my sort of school year that was left just revolved around, you know, reading a mountain training syllabus for how to become a MIA as it was. And it all seemed completely out of reach, but it was a good goal. And, you know, reading every issue of Climber and anything else I could get my hands on. Uh, it just became a proper obsession for, for the rest of my life, I, I imagine, uh, going forwards as well. 
Um, it sounds sounds quite familiar, actually. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure, there's a few people listening with a similar story as well. Now, yeah. Libby, Libby was Libby Peter referred to, wasn't it? The mountain guide and yes. a pretty handy climber, I must say. She's good, isn't she? Oh, very good. There was a kind of. Go on. Uh, it was just it was a, there was a sort of a nice semi-completion of the circle because actually on my uh, mountaineering instructor assessment, um, she was one of the assessors on that. So it was nice that she really introduced me to lead climbing. And then it was the teaching lead climbing day that she assessed on, on that when I was uh, on milestone buttress. And uh, it was lovely. Um, she's, she's very relaxed, as, as you know, and I'm sure some of your listeners will know her as well. But yeah, very relaxed. And it was just a nice day out going climbing and occasionally she'd pop up and uh, just have a chat and <laughs> that, that day went pretty well that's brilliant Jez. that is lovely um how did you make it work though you know there you are in hampshire and you've got fired up you've been on a course you must have had to move to the mountains or go on a i don't know did you go to university or something like that how did it work uh so i i went to a, um quite an expensive school uh, where all my friends went to university or the sort of military, one of those two things, mostly university. And I, as was the done thing, applied to a couple of different universities and I got a couple of offers to go and do outdoor education, either Ambleside or at Bangor. Um, but I had a gap year and ended up working for um, Acorn Adventure, which was, uh, you know, I wouldn't be, it was £40 a week and accommodation in a tent and like well, wasn't much about being a climbing instructor I was it wasn't quite what I expected it to be yeah. but I, I had a blast regardless and that was in uh the first season I did was in Normandy which obviously no mountains but there's a couple of crags we went to yeah. I just loved the lifestyle actually the 40 quid a week was neither here nor there all I wanted was a bit of beer money at the end of the week uh I did that for a couple of seasons and then when I came back I kind of got a bit disillusioned with the second season it wasn't quite what I, I hoped it would be but and then I just um my partner at the time we both moved up to north wales to a, uh, a very cheap apartment in colwyn bay just to be near the mountains uh and yeah that was the beginning of it already i was already in love with north wales that was sort of my first proper mountain trips were in north wales with my brother uh in the Ogwen valley and stuff and you know just scrambling around the mountains and uh just thinking that was the best thing ever so i kind of as soon as i'd visited north wales i knew i wanted to live there so the next couple of years were basically just facilitating some method of getting a couple of you know, qualifications or the training parts of them so I could could move up and end up working a shop in Capel Keurig, what, what's Joe Brown's now, but was uh, Pinnacle Outdoors or whatever it was called back in the day. Um, oh, yeah. and, and then obviously just living in North Wales, you've got uh, a complete playground, haven't you? Of whatever you want to do, it's, it's probably there. Yeah, it's good. That's 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 really that's really cool. That so um, you kind of just went climbing, but Acorn and other companies like that do provide a good introduction to what we do. I know it, it's not the same as teaching somebody climbing on a crag, but the interaction with people in a outdoor setting and having to make some decisions and judgments, even at that level. Would that be something you advise young instructors to do? You know, if they're thinking about, I want to be a mountain instructor, sh should they do something like that? Would it be worthwhile for them? Well, I think it just gives you such a good grounding in dealing with people. You know, I went off to Acorn Adventure thinking I was some superstar instructor. Obviously, I wasn't. I was terrible by <laughs> current standards, but it was my first step on the ladder, so I'm okay with that. But what it did teach me was just, just how to deal with people whether that's a load of 10-year-olds or the teachers that come with them, everything in between, 
you know, working in that team of instructors, uh, you know, with some sort of hierarchy of chief instructors and centre managers and things like that. And it also gives you a bit of experience of of what goes on behind the scenes. You know, dinner cues do have to be supervised by someone, and I'm glad I don't have to do it anymore. But you know, <laughs> it makes you thankful that you don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, so it was a really good grounding, and I I do think a lot of instructors, if you were just watching them work it's often quite obvious as to how they got into instructing. I think some people who sort of don't do much work and, and end up with a higher level level qualification when they're out using it, maybe they don't have the same sort of people skills that people who started at the very bottom and worked their way up end up having. And I, yeah, I think it's a really good grounding. The money's terrible. You work really hard, long hours, it's not always the most enjoyable work when you're cleaning out the toilets at the end of the week, or whatever it might be. Mm. But I, I learned so much from it, and I'm an unbelievable amount. I don't, I do it all exactly the same again, to be honest. Yeah, that's brilliant. It emphasizes the point that it's about the people as much as the climbing, isn't it? It's about people, place, and climbing rather than just one 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 aspect of that. So at some point, you decide yeah. to be a climbing instructor, and um, yeah, make that your life. <sighs> How did that happen? Did you, you know, did you go and get a job in a centre or did you just crack away at it yourself? How, how did the progression... A bit of a, bit of a mix. Yeah. yeah, a bit of a mix, really. So after sort of the couple of seasons at Acorn, uh, I ended up moving to North Wales. And that was, you know, that was more years ago than I care to remember, really. But uh, you'll, you'll sort of appreciate this, that the outdoor industry has changed so much in the last 20 years that, when I first moved up to North Wales, if you only had, I say only, if you, but if you only had like your SPA, RCI as it is, an ML, I think it was actually really hard to get much work up here uh, or up there in North Wales. These days, there's so much, so many more companies offering freelance work and what have you. Although the number of centres, maybe it's gone down if anything, but the number yeah. of small providers has shot up. So if you get your ML, and your RCI and you know those kind of levels of qualifications you can pick up work but actually when I came up I found that really hard so I didn't uh, I really struggled actually and ended up sort of doing shop work and stuff like that and just kind of you know doing the climbing and, and the scrambling for fun really which is the best way to get all the prerequisites anyway isn't it for the, for the higher level qualifications and then I did actually after a few years in North Wales, I did end up living down south for a bit. Uh, I worked at a centre in Swanage and one in Cornwall for a while as well, just to get back into the outdoor industry because I really missed it. I, I just loved that kind of work. And I, I worked my way up from you know, not having to do the dinner queue supervision anymore and sort of being chief yeah. instructor, that kind of job. Yeah. And I just was climbing and everything at the same time. And so the prereqs took care of themselves. I got loads of experience. I was still psyched for, you know, getting onto the MCI or MIA scheme and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it was, it was a lot of, there was a lot of time of not being sure if I could make it work because, you know, it still didn't pay particularly well. Um, and it still seemed like a long way off, to be honest, all the, the mountaineering instructor type qualifications. Um, but it was always kind of the end goal. So I'm glad I did stick at it for sure. But again, just that kind of work, being a chief instructor at a centre, I did less and less instructing and, you know, dealing with all sorts, architects and everything for new builds on the centre and help build a climbing wall and all these all these little bits and pieces that just give you so much more experience to, yeah. you know, it doesn't help you on your MCI assessment, but when you're out working, 
and trying to develop your own business it just gives you such a, a much more rounded experience i think i think so yeah well it's clearly worked jazz because you you're not you're not typical of all um small businesses because you offer right to the highest level you can can't you with the rock climbing yeah. structure is that right yeah that's right i think um back in the day my aim was to do the kind of work that i'm doing i kind of probably wanted to work somewhere like plaza brennan really because i wasn't wasn't so much uh interested in my own business more the work i wasn't yeah. worried whether i was running it or someone else was running it just the work that i wanted to be doing so i guess that was probably one of the things but then uh i just ended up creating my own work because uh, i sort of found it easier to be honest than trying to get a job at a center at a level i wanted i found it easier just to create my own stuff so i started bit of freelance bit of self-employed stuff um and yeah i just went basically went climbing a lot so the rcdi one was an interesting one so i really i was already a provider for the rock climbing instructor and the mountain leader qualifications and i knew that the number of providers would be really limited for the rcdi uh so i really didn't know if i'd get that or not when i applied for it and and thankfully i did because i i just love running that kind of stuff you know helping other people be able to do what is a real joy of a job and give people those skills to go and have their own adventures is just an absolute privilege and really i think two reasons i i ended up becoming the rcdi provider one of the rcdi providers was one running a lot of other mountain training courses but two just being like super psyched for climbing and being climbing all the time i think that that kind of helped me uh sort of in that sort of loose role model sense i suppose you know if someone coming on a course they can see that i love what i do and i think that's key was there a pivotal moment where you thought do you know what i'm gonna have to forget the likes of the the centers and, and just make this it's just going to work without that because you kind of i think the vanguard of a, a new movement really a new group of people who are pushing to those high levels without being in the national centres. Mm. Was that something that just sort of evolved or was there a moment where you thought, hang on a minute, I can make this work as JB Mountaineering? Yeah, I think yeah, JB Mountain Skills, just in case Mountain anyone... Skills, yeah, sorry, folks. Sorry, Google it. It's right. <laughs> um, I'm not sure, actually. I think like I said a minute ago that the kind of I started creating my own work because it seemed easier. And then... But then there was a, probably the pivotal point really was becoming a provider for the um, SPA as it was the single pitch award first, because that, that really opened up a, a bigger market to me. So as, as a lot of your viewers, I'm sure, and you know that it's really hard to make it work on your own, isn't it? Uh, in an outdoor business, um, but having like a good you know, quality mountain training product to offer it just it, it just ups your game a bit i think it makes you appear more professional you know you've been an extra bit of training and someone's deemed you suitable to deliver these qualifications and i just really loved that and managed to fill lots of courses i think one one year i ran more than anyone else in the uk um i just ran, <laughs> ran loads of them uh and then that led into you know really thinking that i could become an ml provider and you know who knows who knew at the time what beyond that but the mountain training courses were really yeah, try not to think about these things don't we because we want to be instructors who don't think about money and stuff but the mountain training awards that i was able to deliver financially they're a massive boost to me because you know you, you can make some money off them um so that was the time when i really realized that okay i can make this work for me 
one of the dilemmas, isn't it, when you, you're working as a climbing instructor, you're often limited to two people, but as soon as you can increase that rate, yeah. the, the economics sort of shift. We, we've talked Absolutely. quite a bit about climbing there, Jez. Obviously, you're offering the, the mountain leader training and assessment, and that'd be a big part of your work, won't it? And a lot of people coming on that. Yes. And I know, I know you're in a great course, but... Um, you know how passionate about walking are you you know you you're obviously keen about climbing how how much how important is the hill walking to to jez brown yeah it's a really interesting question it's one i actually think about quite a lot uh because i always bang on about how climbing instructors should absolutely love climbing that's you know i've mm. got a very basic kayaking qualification that i never use because it's i just don't particularly enjoy it so how can i enthuse other people about it so i do I do think about that question a fair bit and I I got into climbing through doing lots of hill walking then lots of scrambling that kind of led into the mountaineering side of trad climbing and back in the days I hate sport climbing and bouldering despite loving it now but uh, mm. I, I've definitely I've got a massive love for just the mountains in general regardless of what's going on in them I just love being in the mountains and I think I always think I come back to the the answer that in my climbing work which I absolutely love I'm not climbing for myself and it's not the kind of grades I would be climbing on a day off. Whereas on a mountain leader course, they are the kind of loops that if I just wanted to go for a day out in the hill, it's the kind of thing I'd do anyway. So although I don't particularly go hill walking in my time off, I see that it's great because I get to get paid for doing the same sort of thing. Plus the added bonus of being able to share my passion for it with a load of other people as well as you said earlier people are so important and especially on mountain leader courses you just everyone's really nice everyone's super keen to be there everyone shares similar interests yeah. everyone is there because they want to share that passion with other people and uh, you know probably when I first did my mountain leader training whilst I did like the nature and environment probably wasn't that worried about different names of flowers and plants and how old the rock was but these days i love it and i part of the reason on, on mls that i love it is sharing it but also you just learn loads as well don't you because other people bring bits of knowledge and it's just the variety as well that one minute you're talking about plants the next minute someone's telling an anecdote from their you know their workplace because there's so much, so much variety uh, on the ml of, of different people from all sorts of backgrounds so i get to be out in the mountains and doing those hill walking days just as part of my job so I feel really privileged to do that like, so I'm still I'm still really keen hill walker it just happens that I get paid for it which is ace yeah there's a subtlety in there that I recognize because uh, I was a passionate climber and hill walking mostly mm. at work but but it seems to work doesn't it because you're working with people in, in those beautiful places I, I'm in a different chapter now and I'm actually trying to get out and do a little bit more hill walking for fun as I did when I yeah. started getting into the outdoors so that, that's proving quite interesting and opening up some places I've never been to you know because you yeah. get a little bit stuck in northern Snowdonia don't you yeah definitely that's one of the great things about the outdoors and the mountains, isn't it? There's so many different aspects to it. And whilst, you know, I'm here in Spain and the last few years, sport climbing has been my main focus. You know, in a few years, it'll be something else. It'll be track climbing or mountaineering or something. And it's great that you can just go through these cycles of different things. Yeah, they're brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so you work alone a lot, working as a sort of sole provider on your own there. How do you keep up to date? How does a sort of CPD and... You know, I worked at Plasterbenin for a long time and it was brilliant having young instructors coming in and challenge you and then old instructors coming back and saying, oh my God, what are you doing? 
yeah. that day-to-day -day challenge was was a strength of working in a place like that. Yes. How do you replicate that working, you know, predominantly as a one as a one-man business? Yeah. I, I really enjoy the days when I am employing someone else to work alongside me, whether that's on a ML or scrambling or climbing, whatever it is. I really enjoy those days because you do get to share some ideas and it is, as you say, for me, not necessarily a novelty, but it's certainly most days are on my own. I guess uh, a couple of things. Uh, I'm you know, an association of mountaineering instructors member, so just continual professional development uh, with uh, other other people on various things. That's that's always really cool because again, just sharing ideas. I'm I, I'm not particularly into winter climbing. I have been in the past, but I've got my winter ML. But winter MCI doesn't appeal to me, so I, that's kind of disappointing in a way because I, I love the whole structure of doing. A qualification and the next one and the next one and all that is entailed with that yeah. so cpd uh, sort of sort of replaces that so I, I never want to stop learning i want to get better and better and better at what i do so definitely taking part in a lot of cpd is good um and just just knowing lots of other you know mountaineering instructor type people and just chatting with them uh whether that's social media you know the ami page on facebook's pretty active but it you know, just makes whether it's you know down the um, Frickson or whatever uh, on pizza night and things like that and just climbing with friends as well it, I've ended up probably most of the people I climb with are mountaineering instructor types because you just end up gravitating together don't you and so you just have general chat about things you've seen things you've tried what CPD they've done Mate Mike did some short roping CPD uh, just before we came to Spain so you know grilling him about what he learned and what I can learn from that as well so just sharing of ideas really I think is is a brilliant thing yeah it's a good community Jez isn't it it's nice it is yeah right you were nominated for a TGO award this year for uh, I yes I can't remember the exact title there but uh, certainly as mountaineer instructors go you are an internet sensation how did <laughs> come about and how do you manage that I think actually my, my dog is more of an internet sensation <laughs> than I am I just, walk, <laughs> <laughs> I just walking along the bottom of the crag uh, to route the other day and uh, some British climbers were on the floor, sat down and they said, oh, it's the most famous dog on the internet as he trots past. And actually just walking down to a different crag a couple of days ago, I heard an American climber say to his partner, oh, that's that guy off, off YouTube, um, which is it's mind blowing. It really is. Yeah. The, the YouTube stuff started uh, during that first lockdown. It seems like a lifetime ago now. Mm. I, I'd wanted to do something like that for quite a while. And for a few reasons, I hadn't won. It takes a lot of time, especially yeah. when I was first starting. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing particularly. But two, it was wanting to be at a point in my career where I felt like I could speak with some relative authority on these mm -hmm. subjects. And if someone, like they do on the internet, calls you out saying, oh, that's not a good idea for this reason, that reason, having the knowledge and experience to say, yeah, okay, this is why I've chosen to do it that way. And I think... If I'd done it a few years ago, I wouldn't have been confident enough and experienced enough to really to do that. So it started really in that first lockdown just to keep me occupied. Um, I thought it's something to do. And because I do rely quite heavily on social media for marketing in general, sort of fairly organic marketing, but marketing in general, it was just it was a way of being able to put something on Facebook, on Instagram, of something happening, because I wouldn't be out with clients going, here I am on Master and Buttress or whatever. Uh, and yeah, but it just 
a bit of luck really right place right time that uh, people got quite into it and people were practicing the things that I was doing on my banisters on their banisters and sharing their own things on Instagram and Facebook and stuff so uh, I sold loads of someone came up with the hashtag sort of sling mounting because that's why I sort of nominated the name as my banisters when I was practicing these things so I sold loads of t-shirts with sling mounting on them and all sorts and I just ended up really enjoying it uh, it's quite weird talking to a camera especially in your front room or whatever mm. uh, and I'm still a bit self-conscious about it but it's become a bit more normal I, I do enjoy it. just I enjoy the fact that it's slightly different from the normal work although it's still climbing and all that kind of stuff related it's just a different medium uh and it, absolute game changer in terms of marketing and what have you whenever I get bookings through the you know the website that just comes through and says where did you hear about us so many of those answers are youtube 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 so uh right place right time and quite a lot of effort and a lot of learning but uh yeah it's really paid off and i'm still enjoying doing them now yeah have you got a, a grand plan have you got a program that you do or do, is it just whatever comes to mind on the day it's, i kind of write at, when i when things pop into my head at random times I, I write a list so I've got um I've got a little book with a few ideas and things and it gets harder to do because a lot of the a lot of them are sort of instructional ones there's only so many times you can show someone how to make a belay how to add for a sling or a cord letter whatever it might be um so trying to keep it uh sort of fresh is the tricky bit mm. uh and it, you know it's it's working the brand plan I, I'm not sure you just keep plugging away at it and, and seeing what happens uh luckily enough i sort of make some money off it directly from youtube now which is sort of bonus money it's not going to make me retire or anything like that but it's it's a nice sort of secondary income if you like um so yeah i think i'll just keep plugging away and seeing what happens but with the tgo nomination that was very flattering but to be i think my name on the list was below the alpinist or something crazy like that so i think the chances of winning it are pretty slim no, that's great. I was really impressed with that. And it is really hard, isn't it, the social media thing? So you know, Facebook have changed the way they do the logarithms. So you've constantly got to be on it, thinking about how you're using Twitter yes. differently to Instagram. And, and obviously, you've done really well with YouTube, which, uh, which is, is brilliant. It's, I just don't know how you manage that time. Is it just hope? Or is there a strategy there? You say, no, I've got to spend this much time doing this, this, and this, because it will pay back. Yeah, um, not so much strategy as such. I just, uh, you know, not married. I don't have kids, all these kind of things. So I do have more time than a lot of people out there running their own businesses. So I do kind of have the time to, you know, put a post on Instagram and thank. I'm just doing a lot of things. So I find it quite easy just to share mm -hmm. something. Uh, I guess the challenge is to sort of try and make it engaging, which is where YouTube comes in really, because you just an Instagram post, someone looks at for a second or two, yeah. clicks on past. Whereas YouTube, you've actually got someone for maybe 10 minutes. So that's a real chance to make connections. And that's kind of the thing I, I love social media for all its downsides. I love it as well. It, it blows my mind how you can be connected with people all over the world. Um, yeah. So it just comes naturally for me to share those kind of things. And I think that's part of why it does reasonably well is because it's it's just kind of organic and natural and I'm it's just me it's not some act I'm not trying to be something I'm not or put on some show I just share what I'm doing really and it seems to work out for me 
Well, it's good, and it has made you stand out um, in what is quite a competitive world, but everybody seems to be doing okay. Certainly everybody I know seems to be doing okay. There seems to be enough business to go around in North Wales, mm. despite yeah. number of providers. But, of course, your USP is the dog, isn't it? But, oh, <laughs> the dog, yes. He certainly does pretty well for me. Um, he's sat right next to me now looking at the view. Um, I, I think I grew up with dogs, and uh, I just got lucky with him. that He's a, he's a bit of a character. And he's the right size that he's not intimidating to even people that don't like dogs. I think dogs, most outdoor people like dogs, don't they? Uh, He's just a bit bit of an icebreaker, really. And people bring him treats and all sorts when they come on courses with me now. Um, So he is a bit of a star. Uh, I just love having him around. He's just something to talk about, something to laugh at. And uh, yeah, let's say he's he's a bit of a character. That's brilliant. Um, but of course, dogs are not farmers' friends, are they? You know, if you're out no. on an or something, how, how do you manage sort of the dog versus the farmer versus the sheep? And then ground nesting birds, of course, you know, mm. how, how do you manage that? Side yeah. of it's certainly a discussion point on, on a lot of MLs. Uh, I, thankfully, he was pretty easy to train. So he, he doesn't bother sheep, um, which is obviously a, a massive thing in North Wales because they're everywhere. Mm. Uh, so I don't really have to worry about him like that. And he's uh, just by his nature, he doesn't particularly like to wander off too far so it's not as if I look up and he's miles away out of control he's probably just sitting next to me or waiting for something exciting to happen so I've been quite lucky with him my last dog um, was a a collie a lovely dog and very well well trained but she'd know immediately if you weren't paying attention so if you weren't paying attention on an ml for example you're just talking you know huddled around a map or something you'd look up and she would be miles away causing mischief so sadly, she couldn't really come out on courses. So it, it's definitely a balance that not every dog would be right to take out on those kind of courses. And on climbing courses, he's quite happy just chilling at the bottom of the crag all day and um, you know getting some attention when people walk past. But yeah, it, it's definitely a, something I think about. Sheep's quite obvious. The, the ground nesting bird, it's, it's almost less obvious, isn't it? Because you... Yeah. Are they disturbing them where they are? Is he not disturbing them? Like I say, he doesn't wander off too far. So I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. It's tricky, isn't it? But like you say, it's good for yeah. that conversation because what I do find is people who come on an ML training course will go away thinking it's all about navigation and rope work. Quite understandably, yeah. they're the skills they've got to practice. So do you find having the dog there helps them to remember that conservation conversation that you might have had? those um, aspects of leadership that you really want them to take away, but a kind of different skill set, aren't they? I think, yeah, I'm not sure if he, he sort of does raise a few points for sure. I think it's it, like you say, it is such a big thing, isn't it? That of course they've got to get those hard skills bits right. And, you know, you can become an ML and do all those things safely, but to be a good ML, it's much harder, isn't it? Because you've, yeah. you've got to be able to confuse people about all the, the other side of things. And obviously some people will love geology. Some people will love the flora, all sorts of other things. And you all have, everyone has those their strengths and weaknesses. One thing that often comes up on ML courses, as I'm sure you've talked about it a thousand times, is like, oh, can we go over Crib Gark as an ML? And, you know, we'd start talking about that. And for some MLs, that might be absolutely their strong point. But another ML, it doesn't make them better or worse. Their strong point would be taking someone up Shabbat and infusing them about the local history and, and all the other bits and pieces. So it's such, such a wide ranging award, isn't it? Yeah. That, you know, it's almost just a, a sort of a key to the door of leading people in the mountains and what you do with it. It's kind of up to you, isn't it? And certainly trying to 
bring up all sorts of different conversations during that that week and the week's a really good time isn't it to spend with yeah. with people because you do get to know people and chat about loads of different things and they've got all their own experiences and bits of knowledge to impart as well I often think that we're, we're there in some part just to facilitate their own conversations and knowledge sharing as well yeah it's interesting there's so many different ways that they can go nowadays so we're coming towards the end now i want to ask you for some advice that you might give somebody who is considering becoming first of all a mountain leader but then a climbing instructor so what advice would you give to somebody who wants to become a mountain leader just i think just getting out a lot isn't it it's, it's loving you've got to love the hills to be i suppose you don't have to love the hills really do to go and be a mountain leader but if you want to be a good mountain leader and that's what we want everyone to be is all of everyone to be really good at what they do and, and passionate and everything just you want to be thinking in terms i suppose of those qmds that everyone gets obsessed about are just sorting themselves out you know you're just going and having a nice day in the mountains and that makes a qmd you don't want to be worrying about oh was it the exact amount of time is it, you know, was it uh, you know adverse weather and all these different bits it's just going having a nice time in all over the uk isn't it as much variety as possible the logbook then takes care of itself you're then happy in the mountains because you're just comfortable because you've done it all hundreds of times and then you can just come on an assessment and have a nice time isn't it that's how i start every course we're here to have a nice time and we, we just want to go for a nice few days out in the hills, share some knowledge. And that, that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, it must be similar. Well, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It's just going climbing a lot again, not thinking too much about the logbook, just being comfortable on the rock. And again, something I say when people are doing their lead climbs on a, on a rock climbing instructor course is it'd be nice if they can just climb that route and chat about what they're having for dinner or something like that so just completely comfortable in that environment yeah uh, and then you can share all that knowledge and all that kind of stuff with ease to be honest just being comfortable in the environment a, a master of your environment is a phrase i like that's lovely hey james there's one other question i forgot to ask you this uh, do, do you have any other interests do you have any do you have a secret hobby that uh, we don't know about? secret hobby yeah um not particularly I've, I've no probably, you go climbing <laughs> I, I think uh, a lot of climbers we're, we're an obsessive breed aren't we so it's really hard <laughs> to um to, be, to give any time to anything else so my my kind of guilty pleasure i'm quite into my cars and uh and stuff so i, I do enjoy um yeah my, my car and uh, <laughs> i do a bit of mountain biking but i've just i used to race mountain biking when i was younger I used to do sort of oh, yeah. downhill racing and I'm just not anywhere near as good as I once was. So I just find it a bit frustrating and disappointing. I can't do the things I'd like to be able to do anymore. Sounds like there are some secret talents there, but uh, I'm going to leave it there, yeah, Jess. Thank you brilliant. very much indeed for that. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say just before we sign off. No, no, not at all. It'd be a pleasure to speak to you, Mike. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Thank you very much to Jez Brown. Thank you for listening, everybody. You can find out more about Jez at JB Mountain Skills and you can find out more about me at www.microain.co.uk. We look forward to seeing you in the future. Thank you.